You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. short time to live? Serious question to start. <laughs> what would you do with that time? How would, you, how would you spend it? Well, <clears throat> years ago, while I was pursuing my Master of Divinity, I was just running way, way too hard and just completely worn out from the unbelievable crush of schoolwork and trying to stay on top of my studies. And then on top of that, I was also trying to figure out at that time how my personal experience intersected with my faith and everything that I had been told to believe and think my faith said about my sexuality. Um, I was wrestling through all this in seminary. And um, that's a tough thing to wrestle with. Uh, I know some of you can identify with that. So needless to say, I was just completely emotionally and physically exhausted. And so I came home for holiday break, and I just felt like the bottom dropped out. Have you ever been there? Yeah, where, where you know, it's, it's actually hard to get off. This was the first time I had ever experienced this. It was hard to get off the couch. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't for depression. That's a totally different situation. It was just, I was just depleted. I was just done. I just couldn't, you know? Um, well, my dad didn't know everything that was going on, especially about my wrestling with my sexuality. I hadn't yet had that conversation with them. But he did have some recommended medicine, and he told me to try watching the show that he had totally gotten sucked into. 24. (laughs) All right, who, all right, I want to see a show of hands. I got some laughs. Who got sucked into 24 back in the day? Yeah, okay, yeah. So um, for those of you who don't know, Um, In the off chance that you don't know about 24, the show is really built around this clock that's ticking down, and supposedly until the time of a massive terrorist attack. And this clock is ticking throughout the whole show and between every commercial break and in between cutscenes, and it just creates this real sense of urgency and, and really keeps your heart pounding. And so the fact that my dad actually owned two whole seasons of this show um, meant I didn't do a whole lot else for a couple of days. <laughs> so um, you can go ahead and put it up now. So, you know, the image of a clock ticking down can really evoke a lot of different feelings in us. If you knew you only had a short time to live, what would you do with that time? With whom would you spend it? What things that you had left unsaid would need to be said? And what things did you want to teach or tell somebody or share with somebody 
would you need to make sure that you taught? When time is short, the way we look at things begins to change. In the miracle we're focusing on today, we find a, a miracle that actually started in response to another attempt by the religious leaders and individuals of the day to try and trap Jesus. So let's go ahead and read this together. Uh, Matthew 17, 24 through 27 says, After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. So total sidebar, I want you to see here, Jesus responded before Peter had told him what had just been asked. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter replied. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. What? honest for a moment. This is just really strange. And this whole sermon series that we're in is, you know, what in the, and I think this is an appropriate sermon subject passage for that sermon series. Um, this is just a really strange passage, and especially strange that it's a miracle. I mean, should it even be in the Bible? It's just weird. Go catch a fish, open its mouth, and you're going to find a coin. Well, secondly, let's talk about this temple tax real quickly. Two drachmas was actually worth about two days' worth of work for a common person in those days. So in today's dollars in our country, for a common person, so let's just say the average uh, income here in the United States, not here in the New York City area, but in the U.S., this would be about $500. So for an annual tax, um, it, it wasn't insignificant, especially if you didn't have any money. If you did not have any money, that was a lot of money. But it was also in no way a huge sum of money. Do you see that? So how weird is it that Jesus Christ, supposedly one and the same as the Lord of all creation, is too broke to pay a temple tax of two drachmas? That's just strange. So... Um, continuing with the honesty theme real quick before we dive in a little bit further. When Jonathan assigned me this story, my first thought was, where on earth am I going to go with this? Um, and this is just one of those passages that we read in the Bible and we kind of cock our head and just decide to move on. And, you know, um, just get to the next passage. There's some good stuff there. So, you know, we need to find a way, since I'm preaching on this, to spiritualize this sermon today, right? Um, so maybe this passage, the moral of the story is something along the lines of, and you've probably heard something like this, you know, in the midst of money troubles, God will provide. Sounds good. In the midst of money troubles, 
God will provide. And I believe that's true. It sounds good, and, and that sounds like a good way to read this passage. Until you realize that paying your next month rent is not as simple as going and catching a fish in the East River. I mean, that's a little ridiculous, right? I mean, that's not a very practical lesson for us. Yet, isn't that often what we do with Scripture? Is we find a contrite answer to allow us just to blow past something instead of digging in. Well, standing here today, I'm personally going to share with you that I'm actually really now grateful that I was assigned this passage that I've always blown past in the past. Um, While preparing for today, I actually discovered a depth to it that I had never seen before. And I'm honestly saying this. I'm not just saying this because I'm up here preaching and I'm supposed to say that. Um, I I have preached here before. I have preached elsewhere before. And uh, I'm going to be honest. I've never had a passage I've preached on impact me spiritually as much as this one did for me. Um, And I thought it was a strange story and I didn't know where to go with it when I first started preparing. So can, can I show you a little bit of what I learned today? Yeah, awesome. All right, well, Frank is here in the house, and he was my preaching boot camp buddy, um, my PBB. Um, so for those of you in addition to Frank that, who know me, you know I love context. Context is key, okay? This is like a, a hill I would die on. Um, so let's start with some context here as far as where this miracle fits into the, the story of Scripture. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, the gears have started to shift, and he's increasingly starting to look towards, more and more towards the crucifixion that's coming, and then after that, the resurrection. And it's a little bit like looking on the horizon and seeing the storm clouds gathering, blowing your way. And so what we actually see is that the clock is counting down to this crucifixion. And the story of scripture begins picking up momentum. And the teachings start coming more quickly. Jesus is marching towards his death. And that death changes history for all of humanity, for all of us, for all time. And here, when we're in that shift that's starting to take place, Jesus stops a subversive and insidious attack, just dead in its tracks, about whether he would pay the temple tax. But on top of that, and just like only Jesus can do, there are a number of different messages that are actually layered into this for us to see that are really easy to miss. So as we dive into this passage a little bit, I just want to start by talking about how this miracle is actually significant in the Bible. It's really strange, but how is it significant? Well, there are a number of reasons. First of all, this miracle is only recorded in the book of Matthew. It doesn't appear in the other Gospels. It's the only miracle in the Bible that uses money anywhere. It's also the only miracle in the Bible that uses one single fish. Jesus is not multiplying fish here so that he and Peter can retire rich. 
And, and really, really importantly, I believe, it's the only miracle in all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, that does not record the final outcome or results. We don't know what Peter did. We, don't, we assume he went and caught the fish and it played out as it did, and that's why Matthew included it, but we don't know that. So we do know from that that the outcome of the story wasn't the important part of this miracle. So what were we supposed to see from this? Well, let's read it again and see what we can learn. Matthew 17. <clears throat> After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter replied. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. <clears throat> All right. Let me ask you something. Why did Matthew feel it so important to add this particular story into his gospel when the other gospel writers didn't include it? I don't know for certain, but it is interesting to me that Matthew was actually a tax collector prior to becoming a disciple. So money was his career. And I can identify that as a financial planner. You see things in money and the meaning of money and what it means to people that isn't quickly apparent until you have experience in that realm. So could it be that Matthew may have seen a subtext here in this miracle that was actually profound? I think so. And I think what is profound in this miracle is that it actually demonstrates the humility and the humanity of Jesus Christ and the lordship of Jesus at the exact same time. Jesus is the Son of God. He's God incarnate on earth and, and part of the Trinity. And the Bible is absolutely clear on this. And that's also part of the great mystery for us as believers. Although he was fully God, he was also fully human. God wasn't walking around in a slip cover, cloaked in human skin, pretending to be one of us so he could teach us stuff and get us to follow him. He was a real man. Just like you, just like me, flesh and blood, with all of the limitations and the temptations and all of the tears and the fears and the worries of a real person, all of the needs of a real person. Can you 
Can you tell me what the top news headline is going to be tomorrow? Can you see the future? I can't. I'm assuming neither can you. Well, neither could Jesus. He was fully human. But he was also God at the same time. So how do those two natures coexist? And that's the great mystery for those of us who are believers. We don't know. It's not something we understand. I don't think we were meant to understand it or the Bible would clarify it for us. The one question I have for you is, could God have really known what it is like for us without being fully human himself? And I'm, gonna, I'm gonna actually going to say that again, um, just so it sinks in. And, and so if you might have tuned out, because I get a little wordy sometimes, so if you might have tuned out and started thinking about what you're going to do for lunch, uh, to pay attention. This is actually really important for us as believers. You know, write it down even. And um, it's, it's a very, very important part of our faith, but it's also a really difficult concept to grasp. Could God have really really known what it's like for us, what it's like to be human without being fully human in every way with everything that means. And all of the the joy and the love and the excitement, but also all of the pain and the sorrow and the loss and the worries that living in our fallen world entails. Could God have really known unless he really experienced those things like us. Let's continue on. Verse 25. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From, where, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? Well, I can totally see Peter answering, from others, duh. I mean, I can just see it. And I can totally see Jesus responding to that in a way like, then the children are exempt. So, you know, here Jesus is really making a point. Um, and, And since the temple is in service to God, Jesus, who is God's son, does not have to pay the tax. He is exempt. Here he is claiming to be God's son again. That's his point. Yet in spite of this, he determines to pay the tax to make sure that he actually puts himself on the same level as everyone else, every one of us who has to pay the tax. And this shows his humanity. It shows his humility. He even went a step further and put himself on the level of the poorest among us, You know, you've heard the phrase, so-and-so doesn't have two nickels to rub together, right? Well, apparently, Jesus and Peter were so poor, they didn't even have two drachmas to rub together here, right? So in verse 27, Jesus instructs Peter, but so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Let's be real. This is the weird part of the passage. 
This is where it's a little strange. So what, what is it actually revealing for us? What are we going to get out of this? God has dominion over heaven and earth. And by extension, everything in the earth, including animals. A minute ago, Jesus claimed he's exempt from the temple tax. Here he actually proves it. Because he gives Peter instructions that only God could give. Yet he didn't do so to abuse his authority. Instead, he actually used it to serve Peter. In Philippians 2, 5 through 7, Paul writes to us who are believers coming after these events that we're reading about in this miracle. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Even though <clears throat> he did not need to pay the tax, Jesus was willing to submit to the authorities to protect his message. He wanted to make sure that nothing interfered with God's gospel message of grace and love and forgiveness that he was trying to reach people with. He wasn't going to use his position and what he was entitled to in order to evade, avoid paying. Warren Wearsby writes about this <clears throat> and says, while Jesus did not hesitate to break the man-made traditions of the Pharisees, he was careful to obey the law of God. As Christians, we must never use our freedom in Christ to hurt or destroy others. Technically, Jesus did not have to pay the tax, but for practical reasons, he paid it. He also included Peter so that their testimony would not be hurt. What's the lesson here for us? Be careful not to use your freedom in Christ in a way that ends up hurting others. Even if you are able to do something, please ask yourself whether you should do or, or say something. Will it edify others? Will it build them up or hurt them and push them away? Even if there isn't anything technically wrong, Will it impact your testimony and your ability to show Jesus to others? I think most of us here would agree that this is a lesson that the evangelical church in America has largely forgotten. However, we here today and online should be careful not to be so egotistical and so egocentric as to assume that we could not make the same mistake. History is littered with Christians and people of faith who go down that path. Jesus was God. He was divine. Yet he walked, on here, uh, he walked here on earth with us and for us. Jesus didn't have to pay that tax. 
but he did. He became a servant to all of us by putting our interests first and preserving his testimony. So how can you emulate this for others in your life? I mean, what does that even mean? Well, one example might be that just because you can drink alcohol doesn't mean it's the most helpful thing to do in front of a recovering alcoholic. Maybe, rather than doing that and putting them in a position where they have to say no to something that is an addiction for them, or maybe just because you really want to get that drink, rather than inviting all of your friends but purposefully excluding them so you could have that drink, Maybe it'd just be better to get a soda instead and not whine about not being able to have a glass of wine. (laughs) All right, yeah, corny joke, I know. (laughs) Um, Or think about this. Just because you could tip your server a normal rate doesn't actually mean that that helps them be in a better financial situation. So if, if they were friendly or helpful or you guys connected, what about, think about this, what about actually just giving them an extra $20 bill with their tip? And extending, with no strings attached, uh, an invitation to join you here sun, one Sunday at church. No pressure. I mean, how impactful could that be for them? It could be something that ends up changing their life. What about here at church? Perhaps humbling yourself actually means volunteering one Sunday a month in order to help make this wonderful service happen that all of us are here and all of us are online for so that those who are out there that haven't yet experienced this and experienced just how wonderful this place is could. Or maybe it actually means giving money to the church on a weekly basis. And I promise nobody asked me to plug this, okay? So I promise no one asked me to talk about money here um, in regards to giving. Um, But perhaps it actually means giving money to the church on a regular weekly basis so that Forefront is able to plan for the future and continue to be here for those who will need it in the future. Jesus paid his tax out of humility, even though he didn't need to. And he, at the same time, showed his humility and his lordship by doing so. He cared more about his ability to reach other, others with God's love and grace than to sticking to his guns and what he's entitled to. And he met Peter's need in the process. How beautiful is that? He cared more about serving others, Peter and us, than to sticking to what he was rightfully entitled to. And he met Peter's need in the process. That's beautiful. God may want to use you and your present circumstances to bring you to a better place, if you'll let him. He may even want to use you in your present circumstances to bring someone else to a better place, if you'll let him. We're all in this journey called life together. Can we 
follow Jesus' example. And even if we're entitled to something, entitled to say something, entitled to do something, or entitled to not do or say something, can we humble ourselves and consider others first to see how we could best serve them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this place of safety and faith and love. Thank you so much for your scripture and even in a seemingly very strange verse and very strange miracle have such a profound meaning for us as followers of you to see later. For everyone here who needs to hear your Holy Spirit speaking to them today, that this sermon would have helped. And I pray that you will work in us to bring our hearts to a place where we truly think about others and how we can best serve them first and foremost. And by doing so, being a living vessel of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.